But in other ways, my kids know that having a mama that deals with chronic illness and perfectionism is not always easy to be the kid of, you know? Mm -hmm. And so fast forward to eight years ago when my brother found my sister Meg dead by suicide and she was 40 years old and uh, it was a awakening at a different level, but it definitely is a wake up call for all of us to accept the parts of us that are broken. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My guest today is a popular motivational speaker, award-winning author, show host, journalist, and influencer who is known for inspiring others with her unique honesty, authenticity, and spirit with the goal of inspiring others to choose faith and live life with more joy. She has experienced healing from a major chronic illness and is the mother to two miracle children. After the heartbreaking suicide of her 40-year-old sister, she is constantly working towards suicide prevention. She's a regular television and radio guest and hosts the popular shows Real Talk CFM and The Middle. She loves growing older with her husband, Rob, and aims to keep learning and loving. I am pleased to present Ganalyn Condi. Ganalyn, are you ready to share your story of hope? Sure. I'm grateful to be here and to have technology that allows us to connect with people we can't even see. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's why I do what I do is writing books and hosting shows and doing podcasts, interviews like this. Um, we become more connected than without this technology, even though sometimes this technology can make us feel less connection. I try to share content that is connecting on social media and on interviews like this, just because I have learned over the years that it can reach people right where they're at in miraculous ways. If people are willing to have the conversations and we were talking before we started taping and I definitely do not have all the answers, but I definitely am willing to hold space to have the conversation. So thank you for hosting. Oh, well, this is a, this is an honor. It really is. And I thought we'd break the ice with something a little more modern and lighthearted before we dive back into your background, but you are getting ready to be an empty nester. Oh my gosh. And you know what? I've got a daughter graduating from high school and she's my youngest as well. So I'm kind of in your same boat. So we'll, cry, <laughs> so we'll cry together. I, yes. <laughs> I have so many emotions, especially at the time of this taping. I just, we're in the 30 day countdown and mm. I, um, yeah, I am trying to embrace this new phase that's coming and soak up all the last days of what it's been. And, and I definitely am mourning uh, this phase of life changing. You know, I think as mothers, my oldest is 24 and lives in Hawaii. And I think for 24 plus years, every day I've woke up, I, the first thought is of the two human beings I brought into the world mm -hmm. and um, what do they need that day? And to unwind from that immediate knee jerk um, 
having them in my sphere of influence is, is a change in stewardship. And I have come to realize there is a vacuum of information about this phase. There's a ton about having babies, raising babies, teaching them to read, teaching them to potty train, and then it grows silent for how do you launch them and parent adult children. Um, so maybe that's a future writing project. I don't know. I feel like I have no answers. I'm, I'm definitely willing to, to learn from those ahead of me on the trail. And so every time I have a speaking event where I can see there's grandmas out there or grandpas, <laughs> I'm always like, share what you know about navigating. Cause I don't want to be hands-off. Um, I want to still be a steward in their lives, which I talk about a lot, the, the idea of stewardship. That's my new book coming out this week, actually. Um, but I don't, I don't have all the answers. And there is definitely a part of my soul that is mourning. I, I tell mm. my husband, his evenings and weekends are going to change. My everyday is changing, you know, mm -hmm. like he's already noticed this year that she's been so busy as a senior and gone a ton and I was gone at a speaking event out of state a few weeks ago and he was home that weekend and she wasn't around and he was very aware of it. And I said, yeah, welcome. That's how every day feels. It's me and the dog talking to each other. A lot. <laughs> so, and I really like her. And so I would have been her friend if I could have been not just been her mom. And so mm -hmm. I'm happy to see what the world is going to be for her and for my son, but it, it's a definite, it's a definite morning tender time for me. And I'm, I'm trying to celebrate her wings and her flight out into the world. Um, but there's moments I just want to grab her by the ankles and have her drag me everywhere with her. <laughs> I think you just exactly put how I'm feeling about my daughter leaving. I'm just like, I love you. I, I think back to my, my freshman year of college. And I just think you are going to have the time of your life. It's going to be so amazing and so fun. And then I pause and think about me and I'm just like, is your daughter going to school close by? She is heading up to school in Idaho. Okay. And so, you know, she'll be close enough that she can come down maybe for a long weekend or yeah. Thanksgiving or yeah. something like that. So yes. I'm excited, but it's not going to be like, I can just yes. pop up and visit her. She's an hour away. She's not, you know, yes. so my daughter's only going down Provo way. And so she's moving out, but we'll get Sunday dinners once in a while. And I went to the Idaho school that I think you're referencing but I grew up in California. And so when I was gone, I was gone. And I tell my kids there were no cell phones. I had to do collect calls home. Mm -hmm. the, the op operator never said my name correctly when <laughs> they would call and they'd be like, collect call from Dino. And my family's like, yeah, we'll take a call from Dino. And it was gainal, but whatever. So, and it is, it's the best time of, is that hilarious? Um, <laughs> it's the best time of life. But I also, I also just feel like I am now the lady in the grocery store that follows around the tired new mommies that oh. just want to sleep and go potty by themselves and not have any littles. And grandmas would come up to me in that phase and say, it goes so fast, dear, just savor it. And I would just want to scream at them because I'm like, it's not going fast enough. I need to sleep. Like I, know. I need my own space and someone to not touch me for two minutes today. <laughs> and, and now I feel like it went in a blink of an eye. 
a yeah. blink of an eye. So, yeah. And thinking I would, if someone offered me a million dollars or a night in a hotel to sleep by myself, I would definitely pick the hotel, like fantasizing about sleep, like mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think unless you're a parent, you understand. And honestly, I tell parents that have those like middle grade level I'm like sleep then because they're about to go to the teen years where she don't, I know I'm just as that's, what's helping me get ready for her to launch is I tell my husband, we could just go to bed when we want to go to bed. I know. When she doesn't live here, we can just go to sleep. It's going to be amazing. We're, we're like 24, 25 years tired. So. Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, it's, it's wonderful that you're at this new phase in life. And I have no doubt that God will help you fill it with amazing and great things. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I tell people all the time that, that are worried about me. I say, you know, I have a very separate, maybe this is a good segue into our conversation. I have a very full separate identity from mothering. I, write books. I host shows. I'm on live TV every month. I speak all over the world. And there is still a part of my soul that is like, this is like my gut is being ripped out. And so it's, it's a very interesting time. I'm grateful that there are these other stewardships in my life or identities. Um, because if it was, if it was really centric on just mothering, um, I don't, you would have to come visit me in the hospital. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) So I'm giving myself permission. I definitely feel like I've been back in therapy this year, the last few months off and on. And um, I'm definitely giving myself permission to not have it sorted out. And that's a new resiliency skill for me because I'm, I'm organized and a planner and sorter. And once I can get like, a calendar and a schedule. And if you could see on my office wall, right over here, there's this big sticky note poster, all the things I need to do for graduation. And we're going on a big trip and work stuff and house stuff. And, and in my life right now, I'm feeling so much transition and it's not sorted. And in therapy, I, I came up with the analogy. It feels like all the little blocks my kids would play with And remember when you'd clean up the living room and then they would get it all messy again. And it was all day long, constant of that. I have come to realize that the space I'm in right now, and maybe your viewers will appreciate this analogy for whatever's happening in their life, whatever they're in the middle of, that my life feels like a whole bunch of blocks. They're beautiful. There's some hard things. There's some great things. And they're scattered in front of me. And I've yet to sort them back into the basket. Like, Mm. I think I'm getting them categorized a little like by shape, but they're definitely not in order. And I'm giving myself permission for probably the first time in my life to just sit with that and sit on the couch and not have it sorted in my head and heart. And that feels really vulnerable for me because I, like I said, I like to have a plan and I like to be very proactive and I like to be intentional about my mental health and my relationships and my physical health. And it feels like there's just a lot of transition and letting go right now. Yeah. I I totally understand that. And that you you used to be more of a perfectionist Mm -hmm. and that's why you kind of turned to organizing. Why don't you give us the story behind that so that people understand a little bit more of why you're coming, why this is so monumental that you can just sit in it now. Right. So I, 
I definitely would say I'm a perfectionist in recovery. It can still raise its ugly head in my life. Um, I definitely was born this way, so to speak. I, I classically would tell my mom who was single at the time she'd she and my dad had divorced and it was my sister that passed by suicide. I'm the oldest. My mother deals with mental health issues. She's very public about it. And it was, um, she was a working single mom and I would suggest for fun cleaning the house. So mm. that's at a very young age of three or four. So wow. I've, I've always been kind of wired to put order to things and that can be really celebrated. I mean, I think if people come to my home, they'll sense that in writing books and my schedule and juggling my mental health and my physical health, that's been a gift. Mm -hmm. But like all gifts, they can swing into a dangerous place. And I definitely write about this in um, one of my forgive one of my books, the With God series. I have three in that series, and I can forgive with God. I talk personally about parenting and that desire inside of me to be perfect came from a place of really a, a misunderstanding of knowing that God had a purpose and plan for me in life. And I felt at the age of seven, I write about this in the way that you take a spiritual thing and try to put words on it, where God showed me who I was for a moment kind of a glimpse of what I would do. And I misinterpreted at the age of seven, that to mean that I had to be perfect. Like mm. here, God has just shown to me in a very flash moment, um, a brief glimpse into what I would do. And I believed and interpreted that as a seven-year-old would to mean that if I was perfect, I could not only do what God wanted me to do, but I could save and protect the people I love. And so fast forward through a, a childhood with a mother that dealt with some severe mental health issues to a very severe level, and she still battles with it today. Um, and then a sister that very much um, manifested some mental health issues. We saw uh, eventually what some of those causes were. She had a learning disability she had been sexually abused by a babysitter that we didn't know about until she was in her teens. Mm. It happened when she was a young girl um, and some addiction showed up and she battled her own mental health issues. And she definitely is uh, like my partner right now in this messaging in the last eight years. Um, I, I get to share her story because she's not here to do that. And um, so she, she very much for those that are listening that are dealing with mental health issues within themselves or their family, it became a fuel for this perfectionism. Like I mm. was like convinced that if I could be perfect, somehow the hard things could be stopped and the people I love could be protected. So fast forward, you know, you become a mother and they hand mm. you a baby. It took seven years to have my son because I was diagnosed with lupus. They said I would have seven they would, they said I would have about 10 years to live. And they said, definitely no children. Obviously they I'm past that 10 year mark. Um, and I did have two children. They were hard fought, but I, I mean, that just, all these things just kind of fueled this idea of I'm going to break patterns from my childhood and I'm going to do things different. And in many ways, I think I have been able to do that, but in other ways, my kids know that, you know, um, having a mama that, 
deals with chronic illness and perfectionism is not always easy to be the kid of, you know? Mm -hmm. And so fast forward to eight years ago when my brother found my sister on my mom's birthday. So for your viewers, if you get the context of that, the hell of that moment um, was when my brother found my sister Meg dead by suicide and she was 40 years old. And uh, it was a, a an awakening at, awakening at a different level. I have another sister that died when I was 10. She was um, just barely two years old. And so both my sisters are buried by each other. And so I had grieved before, but suicide grief is a different grief. And really it was a wake up call that I had to get really clear with my perfectionism because Meg's death and suicide in general is complex. I don't want to oversimplify it, but it definitely is a wake up call for all of us to accept the parts of us that are broken. I mean, mm. Japanese pottery and the gold that is used to repair it is popular. I don't want to take away from that analogy. But the reality for me is that the thousands of people I've met and talked with over the years through the work I do, um, we all carry things with us that haven't yet been filled with the gold, you know, mm -hmm. that isn't fixed yet. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love the idea that we have these scars or these broken parts that it, through the Japanese pottery, if people are familiar with that analogy, we fix them, we fill them, the gold is celebrated. But what about the stuff that is just, it's still broken and you're, mm -hmm. you're waking up every day with that chronic, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. um, for me, regarding suicide prevention and mental health and my own, I had to get okay and more comfortable and lean into um, the fact that I'm not perfect and mm -hmm. that there are parts of me that may always be flawed and broken mm -hmm. and that no matter what I do, I am not responsible for saving someone else. I mean, mm -hmm. the reality of suicide grief is that those that are left behind are at a greater risk statistically for suicide. So whether it's at school or work or within a family, when someone dies by suicide, it opens up this kind of gate. And um, so I had to be really clear. I mean, in my faith as a Christian, I believe in a savior, Jesus Christ. Well, he's the only one that can save. Mm -hmm. So in book writing and speaking and podcasts, I can invite, I can influence, I can love and I can do that in personal relationships, but I can't save. Mm -hmm. And so, especially after the last two years with the pandemic, mental health is at a whole different catastrophic level. Yes. And so, I mean, I really love to say classically that everyone on the planet either struggles with mental health or loves someone that does. So True. that's everybody. There's yeah, not there you go. <laughs> yeah, there's not this other demographic on, you know, Apple podcasts that you hope will listen that are the mental health people. Like for me, mental health is health. Every day I wake up and I check in with my mental health. So that's a really long answer for as a perfectionist. I'm not always there. I can find it creep back in in certain ways, um, mm -hmm. but I'm definitely better than I was eight years ago. And a lot of that is the gift of Meg. I had to get okay with the parts of me that are just not okay. Mm. And the reality is that's all of us, right? We all have the flaw. I mean, the reality of suicide is that Meg believed, as do thousands of others that die by suicide every year, 
that we would be better without her, mm-hmm. that her broken parts were so horrific that she, she was doing us a favor. And that's one aspect of suicide. I mean, I think suicide is really about exhaustion of the soul and, and feeling that tiredness of the soul from the pain that comes with mental health and wanting pain to stop. I mean, we can all relate to that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I get to talk to a lot of people that do not understand that mistakenly call suicide as, as selfish and, and, and within faith communities, I've spoken to lots of different religions, not just Mm -hmm. my own about suicide prevention and been invited into other churches to do so. And I think within faith communities, we, we can frame perfectionism in a weird way and we can frame suicide in a destructive way. Um, in my faith, I believe my sister continues to learn and progress. In mm-hmm. my faith, she has eternal progression. And so she's continuing to learn. Um, and my friends that are therapists often tell their clients, you know, that are wrestling with like these parts of them that they're like, I can't ever get better in this, or I'm always messing up in this, or I'm so tired of feeling this depression and anxiety, this idea that, that death would stop that pain. And the reality is, I don't believe it does. I believe those lessons Meg were, was wrestling with, she's still wrestling with. Mm. And that may feel really discouraging, but I have friends that are therapists that will boldly say to their clients, okay, you choose suicide, you know, tomorrow morning, wherever you believe you wake up, there's still things to learn. And I won't be there to go to therapy with, right. As a therapist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for me, your, your podcast stories of hope and hard times, like we all have those, we all are living a hard time and we've all survived hard times. And for me, hope is doing the next plan B. So Mm -hmm. the first step for me was learning my perfectionism was unattainable. And number two, that the hope that I like to generate is plan A didn't work. We're on to plan B and sometimes on to plan X. And we're starting, <laughs> we're starting the alphabet all over again. And so for those listening that are thinking, I just need the pain to stop. I hear you. I see you. My sister Meg was tired. I get tired. I do this work every day, full time. And I Sometimes I'm struggling to find the hope, you know, and what tool will work that day. And that's why I do podcast interviews, because I love that it meets someone in their earbuds when they're going on a walk, right? When they need to hear someone say, I see you. And, but if Meg was here, she would tell you, um, to stay in your body. She would Mm -hmm. tell you that suicide's one decision someone makes, not every decision, but it changes your other choices. Mm. Oh, that's powerful. And it, it's, it's such a unique perspective on suicide. Stay, just choose to stay. Mm-hmm. And, and I also loved something else you said earlier, and that was that you've made it through hard times and you can keep making it through hard times. You know that, that, yeah, it may not turn out how you thought. <laughs> plan A may not always be the, the way it turns out. Maybe right. you're on to plan Z, <laughs> mm-hmm. double Z. I don't know what it is, but God sees the beginning from the end and you can rely on him to help you find the right thing to help get you through. Now, you mentioned a couple of times that 
you have strategies that you do to check on your mental health every day, uh, mental and physical health every day. What are some of those things that you do that help you with that every day that help you kind of stay the course? Well, first and foremost, I would say therapy is a really broad term. And so when I talk with people that say I've tried therapy and it, it hasn't worked, have you ever had a bad haircut? You don't just stop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You don't just stop getting your hair done. You, you, if you chronically have a bad haircut, it's time to change stylists and you mm -hmm. do a post on social media and then everyone tells you the 10 people they like and you try someone else. And so I would say first and foremost, my definition of therapy is very broad. So for your listeners, just understand that, that I see massage on a weekly basis, usually as part of therapy for me, because mm -hmm. especially with grief and chronic illness, it settles in your body. So I have an appointment scheduled tomorrow and I always have one or two on the calendar um, because that's been a way for me to process the grief, reset my nervous system and, and help my physical body and nervous system handle the emotions and the intensity of the work I do in my life. The other thing I would say is traditional talk therapy is, is great and has its place. But I also have found uh, a, a certain modality called EMDR, which may be familiar for your, for your listeners, that's really helpful with trauma and processing trauma. And it's not something woo woo. There's like, you know, all the things I did that was kind of fringe work 10, 12 years ago has become very mainstream and regular therapists are trained in it. And, and so I would suggest that. I Tell me what EMDR stands for EM, for people EMDR who don't know. is, oh my gosh, now that you just said that, it's something release. So basically- Isn't it, it eye movement or it something? It can like be eye movement with light or sound, depending on your therapist and how they are trained. There are even apps. So I have a downloaded app that sometimes when I'm cycling, it's helpful when you first get started to have someone guide you through because it takes you back to the trauma rewiring your brain so that it doesn't have the trauma response playing every time. But if, mm -hmm. if your listeners want to know more, Google it and you'll see practitioners that are trained in that and, and a better definition than maybe I've given. The other <laughs> thing I, the other thing I would say is for me, physical movement is essential during the winter. I need light therapy because of where, where I live in Utah and, uh, and rest. And so Sometimes it's the basic right now, like I have my big water and, you know, it's those basic things that we do when we're dealing with trauma. The other thing I write about it in my book, you are more than enough. You are magnificent that everything we say no to, we are automatically saying yes to something else. And everything we say yes to, we're automatically saying no to something else. So instead of especially if you're processing a lot or you're in a struggle time, I like to call it my chopping wood and carrying water. You know, there's seasons, uh, the next 30 days as my daughter's graduation approaches, I've put a cap on adding anything more to my calendar. Things keep trying to creep back in, but I know that if I keep saying yes to other things, I'll be saying no to having the emotional fortitude and bandwidth to process this really big change coming with my daughter. And my mm -hmm. calendar is still full, but I know for me, I've had to put a no 
out there so that I can say yes to something else. So those are some of the things that I do. I really love journaling and meditation because once again, sometimes for me as a, as a writer and as someone that words matter, if I can journal out feelings, sometimes I can't even pray the prayers. So I will write my prayers out to God. Those are ways in which when I don't even know how I'm feeling, like I shared already, I, I have had so many feelings the last few months and I don't have words for them. And so sometimes just free journaling. I'm not talking about journaling in a way that you leave that journal for your grandchildren. I'm talking about you journal and throw it away or burn it, right? <laughs> Which I do. You know, my best friend and my husband know if anything happens to me, there's one journal they've got to hurry and get rid of that's not for, <laughs> for everyone to read later. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we'll have more lessons, tips, and things you can apply to your life. Stay tuned. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you, you are normal for you? I'm so excited to tell you about my book, Normal For Me, learning to love and accept life's detours with God's help. This book took me 10 years to write, and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I talk about being a zombie mom, living in survival mode, learning true faith, and how I debunked the myth that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Normal For Me also includes a bonus diagnosis survival guide at the very end of the book, in which I share 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon or on my website, TamaraKAnderson.com. So those are some of the tools that I use on a pretty regular basis. And then I love therapy. I, I think therapy, the way I frame it is it's education for your mind and your relationships. No one gets embarrassed by getting more education. No one's like, oh gosh, I'm getting another PhD. It's so embarrassing, <laughs> right? But there's still a stigma somehow, especially with males in our society, men in general are highest rate of suicide, middle-aged men. And so when I speak, I often say, talk to a man this week and ask them how their mental health is. And they will tell you fine. And then you will pull out your phone and pull up all the emojis on your, on your phone screen. And you'll have them pick one of those emojis and, and push them to identify it. I tell fathers, the best gift you can give your kids is for you to go to therapy and then at dinner time talk about how awesome it is. Mm. I mean, can you imagine if we lived in a society where men celebrated therapy and talked about it, giving permission to their families um, as the provider, traditionally speaking, um, that therapy is education and it's a it's a positive thing. It's not a negative thing. Those are not only practical tips, but some great advice, especially for the men that we love in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. That these are things that are okay. And I love that you framed it as education mm -hmm. because I know I, I was able to go to some therapy appointments with one of my children 
And it was amazing the things that I learned just sitting there, you know, being the silent observer, they, they were under the age of, you know, majority. And so my kids wanted me to sit there by them and I'm like, that's fine. But I was surprised how much I learned just sitting there and listening to the way that the therapist would frame something or the way they would teach something. I was just like, oh, like, I want to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> like sneaking my phone out of my pocket and typing it. In, you know, I'm like, I want to remember that after we're done with therapy. So I can remind you of that. Right. <laughs> you <right>. know? <laughs> So it, it's really amazing what you can learn and, and how sometimes just talking it through with someone uh, can give such a different perspective. On for it. sure. For sure. I really feel like the opposite of addiction is connection. And the first sign when Meg was struggling was that she would isolate and we all have that tendency in the wild. We see animals that are wounded go off and and hide. And so it's, it, it's wired in us to be protective and pull in. And I'm, I'm so public that I really value and protect my alone time. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference between that, but even my, I call my faith friends, they know when I've swung from quiet alone time to isolation. And, um, so your faith friends or your SOS friends, I would always advise having five. If you can have five, start with one. If you can get to three, great. If you can get to five, even better. And the reason I say that is your SOS friends are already planned so that when you go into that place, that pit or that isolation, you've already had a conversation with them that they may get an SOS text. Mm -hmm. And the reason five is you'll talk yourself out of reaching out to the first three. <laughs> you know, I, I believe you. Yeah. She's too busy. They're going through a divorce. They just lost their job, whatever the thing is. If that leaves you two on the list, the first one may not answer that that leaves you one. And so I, I'm a fan of having, um, that conversation. Now, if your viewers remember nothing else from our conversation today, immediately, if you're listening to this text, the first five people you can think of, they don't have to be your very best friends that you love hanging out with and going on vacations with. They're the people that you know, have gone through their own hard times, and they know how to foster their own hope. They've worked mm -hmm. on things, they've been to therapy, they have their own list of tools that they use. And when you have the conversation before you need to have it, that's when it's ideal you know, blame it on this podcast and listen to this conversation, <laughs> you know, and offer to be that for them. Because especially during the pandemic, those first few months, if you remember when everything was shut down, that that isolation was and still is for many real, mm -hmm. you know, and thank goodness for Zoom. But um, there's been some studies already done that Zoom meetings and Zoom conversations, we actually can't with the camera and the screen look at each other in the eye. And so think of two plus years of school and work happening where you're not really seeing people what that's done mm -hmm. and what has increased in addictions. I mean, I talk to teenagers and, and adults all the time where over the last two years, what they thought they had worked through showed right back up, you know? Yeah. So find that, find that list of SOS friends. So you don't isolate because mm -hmm. connection can beat back a lot, you yeah. know?
And like you said, it's just the speaking it out loud that's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I love, I love that you call them SOS friends. So pull out your phone, yeah. text a friend and say, yes. Hey, I just heard on a podcast. It's important <laughs> to have five SOS friends. Will you be mine for cases of emergency? And I'm happy to be yours in return. Do you know yeah. something, something simple like that? Would you add anything else to that? Text? No. And just literally let them know that, that you value connection and mm. you've, you've realized that at times you can isolate when you need the connection the most and it's hard to reach out. And so you're offering yourself to be a connector. Um, and this is not in the replacement of therapists. Oftentimes I have parents and church leaders and business people reach out wanting to know how to help with mental health. And I say, we need to stop assuming that we have to have all the answers and be the therapist, mm. right? It's, once again, not us being the savior, it's being the person that allows you to be the safe space to speak it out loud. And then you get to be the person that says, okay, I'm going to check in with you in a week. If you have not made an appointment with the therapist, what, what's going to be the next step and put it back on the person. The other mm -hmm. thing I love to say is we get afraid to ask or offer to help because we don't know what the solution is. And one of my favorite phrases to use in my own relationships is what does support look like for you? Ooh. Right. Because instead we don't reach out because we're, we're waiting to have all the answers before we reach out. Instead, it's just the connecting and reaching out. That's the biggest help. And mm -hmm. so if we can put it back on the person and say, what does support look like? It's amazing how often we've created this whole story of what we think the support is. And usually the person, I mean, not saying all the time, but usually it's, they just need to be heard. Mm -hmm. They need to maybe go for a drive. They, you know, it's, it's amazing to me what really is needed. And it's not as much as I think it is in my head. My, my kids are always like, mom, I don't need solutions. I just need you to listen. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but I love like people pay me, right? <laughs> people, yes. <laughs> people pay me to talk. And don't you want me to give you all my ideas? And they don't, they just want to be heard and they want to be sat with and seen, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. So don't overcomplicated in your mind. Yeah. And put it, it on the, simple. yeah. And ask the other person, it may be for them. You know, what would help the most is you dropping off my dry cleaning or checking on me in two days, or can we plan a night to go to a movie? Like we, we stop ourselves from reaching out because we want the whole plan. And it's not, I mean, all of us have gone through the hard times, the, the, the hard times for me that have been over a long period of time and and extended, I needed the consistent people. And sometimes it, those, that list of people floated in and out, you know, there were people that I was surprised showed up. And then I, there were times where I was like, okay, that's exactly my ride or dies. You know, those are the people that I know are always there for me. And I have a handful of those people. I don't need, we don't need a hundred. We, no. we don't even need 10. We need one or two good people that, know our story and can sit with us and 
every time I share that in a, in an event or on a podcast like this, I immediately hear from people on social media that say, I don't, I don't have anyone. And that's when I say, go to God and ask who needs you. Go ask God right now. And then the first name that comes to your mind, don't overthink it. Text that person and say, Hey, just thinking of you, how are you doing today? Instead, we focus so much when we're in pain on what maybe isn't being done for us. And the best thing I have found to pull me out of that is um, who, who might need me today. Now, please don't misunderstand. I think we can also get in trouble with all the serving of everyone else that we're so busy doing that we're not really taking care of us anymore because we're making it about being busy. Mm-hmm. But, but I do think there's a resiliency skill in service. Mm-hmm. And when we are feeling like we don't have anyone, maybe it's time that we find someone who needs us. Yeah, uh, no, that's super amazing advice. And I've seen that true, both when I've needed service and when people have given it to me. And I've come to understand it to be kind of a cycle of love that yeah. it's, it's amazing to me when I've been incapacitated at several couple points in my life that I have such a love and appreciation for the people that came to my rescue. Even to this day, like I yes. could break down and cry as I told you about. Oh, that. same, same. You know? And it's, so it's amazing that that cycle of allowing people to serve you and then you serving others, it builds love. And isn't that what God commanded us to do? Love one another. Yeah. Yeah. And let me just, if you don't mind, this is my new book, The Stewardship Principle. Yes. Please tell me about your new book. Well, this cover I love, um, Emma, Emma Taylor. That's right. Um, she did this painting and you can see the savior is right here, but look at all of this connecting that's happening here. And it's called the stewardship principle, reframing your life. And it's a principle that I learned about 10 years ago and it has completely changed my life. And the idea is that everything we have, everything we are, all of our relationships, all of our stuff, our unemployment, our chronic illness, our advanced degrees, our scholarships, our beautiful car, our broken down car, all of it is stewardship. There's nothing Mm -hmm. that we own. And God is really asking us to watch over it. And so our friend circle, as we were just talking, is one of our stewardships, but Mm -hmm. all of us have multiple stewardships. You know, if we, if we try to, um, juxtapose this, the opposite of stewardship that I share in the book is ownership. And at the end of each chapter, I give us four examples of what the stewardship voice would sound like and four examples of what the ownership voice would sound like in that situation. So I try to use stewardships that are closely related. The first chapter gives you more of a brief overview of stewardship versus ownership, but then the next few chapters are um, different stewardships, time and talents, body and mind, parenthood and childhood, relationships and marriage, education and career, money and possessions, service and mission. And then the last chapter is about practicing. It's a principle. So once again, it's not perfection, it's practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you were just talking, I was thinking about, we've talked about a lot of stewardships today. And what I have found the most hopeful um, And since hope is in the name of your podcast, the hopeful part of stewardship is 
when I'm in ownership, I'm in comparison and I lose hope. When I go into stewardship thinking, um, it's much more expansive and hopeful. So for example, you have a stewardship of a child that it has autism. Mm -hmm. It's easy to compare our stewardships. So our neighbor's kids are all maybe launching out into the world and having these amazing experiences and super self-sufficient and your stewardship may be hypothetically that you have an autistic child that stays longer or through their adulthood in your forever forever (laughs) forever right my co-host on real talk has a non-verbal 13 year old daughter rachel and i love her and she will forever be in their home Mm -hmm. you know that is a stewardship and when we're in ownership it 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 can very much start to feel like victim. It's like, well, why does my neighbor have kids that have all gone to Harvard on scholarship and married beautifully and, and live well, and, and I will forever be parenting a child at home, right? Mm-hmm. Versus stewardship. It doesn't mean that stewardships aren't often difficult. There are very hard stewardships out there. There was a time in our lives where we lost a job. My husband got skin cancer. The dog was killed, and within a few months, we lost $80,000 on our home, moved, moved into the home we're in now. And then my sister died by suicide. That was all within a couple of years. Um, Those were heavy stewardships. At the same time, God was also calling me to write my first book. And so sometimes people will say, oh my gosh, what's it like to be um, a famous author, speaker, be on TV? In my mind and heart, and I mean this in all seriousness, it's a stewardship which means it could end. I very much see it as a mission. I very much see it as a stewardship and there are beautiful parts of it, but it's, but it's easy for me to go into ownership. Why don't I have this many followers? How many views did this show get? How many books did were sold? Da, 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 right. And I, that's ownership thinking when I pull out of that, whether it's parenting, my adult children, dealing with my mental health, dealing with my chronic illness or living my mission, um, it gives me the fuel to go forward. It also allows God to help me stay individualized. You know, there is a lot of great speakers and authors and podcasters and parents and, and right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and when we're in ownership, it's so easy to think like what's on your, what's in your lane and what should I be doing in your lane instead of what's in my lane and what does God want me to do with my kids? You know, mm-hmm. I write about in the book, it's kind of hypothetical, but it's not really. Um, my 24 year old son eight, over a year ago dropped out of college after mm-hmm. two years. And um, if I didn't know about this principle, I would have gone into ownership and could have really damaged the relationship. Mm-hmm. Because immediately when he called us, there was a story and I could do a whole nother podcast about why that was scary for me and what the story is that I'm telling myself and my fears for him and his future. And as a parent, we want our kids to have all the options. And, and for me, education gives options. There's all that. Right. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, I realized here he was, um, 23 years old, um, paying his own bills. Um, he had served a mission for our church for two years and done two years of college very talented musically deals with ADD stewardship and um, he's on his journey. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's moments I want to go into ownership. That's one example. I think parenting is one of the biggest ways in which we go into ownership because 
they're, they feel like an extension of us and, and we want to control vulnerability and we want them to be safe and happy because that's what we're wired to do as their parent. Um, but as your child ages, your stewardship changes. I don't get to control where my kids sleep and what they eat and who they hang out with and who their teacher is for the year. And do they get their dentist appointment? Like, you know, that part of my parenting has changed into much more of an advisor only when asked. And, (laughs) and that doesn't happen as much as I would like it to happen. And so that's one example, but I, I could use countless hours of explaining where this idea has changed and parenting, friendship, health, mental health, economy, um, how clean your house is, you know, whatever is happening to your pet or your parents that are aging that now you're taking care of, it's all stewardship. When your car breaks down and when you get a brand new car, it's stewardship. Mm-hmm. And it's not God saying, I love this kid more because their stewardships happen to be ABC. And I don't love you as much because your stewardships are ABC. It is stewardship. And when we mm-hmm. see it that way, um, it helps me stay in faith and hope that um, at this point, there are certain hard things that are happening, but compared to the last few years, There's not a lot of, I mean, we've been through some tough stuff the last 10 years and currently right now it's pretty good, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to be honest with you. There are days I'm like, so what's my problem? Things Things aren't that hard. Why am I, why am I struggling today? And once again, it's stewardship, you know, and that's when I get to go to God in prayer and say, help me see this in a stewardship mindset instead of framing it as an owner, um, and help me help me get out of the way on this. It's a lot about submitting. It, it is. Like. It you is. You know, submitting to God and saying, "Okay, I would like to be in control of all this, but I'm so not." Yeah. And so I'm going to just back up and trust that you've got this. Yes. I'm going to do my best with this gift or this challenge that you've given yes. me as a stewardship, and see what comes, you know, but, but, but we can't, we're kind of back to that control thing at the beginning, you know, that sometimes we want to control how things turn out and that's not, yeah, I just, (laughs) I randomly turned to page 54. This book is not super long. It's only about 68 pages. So, and it's like $8. So I really hope that because it's not overwhelming and not expensive, thousands of people will pick it up and take it and then do more than what I wrote. I wrote it Mm -hmm. so that those that didn't understand it would understand it. And those that already understood it, but needed more would get more. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard challenge to squeeze into, you know, a few chapters, but I just opened to this mother Teresa quote that I put in the book that you were just referencing in submission as mother Teresa once said, I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. So if you're, that was mother Teresa. Now this is me. So if you're feeling beckoned to give back, or even if you're still uncertain what your mission is, make sure you stay connected with your boss. He knows where and how you are needed most in the end. It won't be about book sales or church callings, YouTube subscribers or awards. Making a difference will be about showing up. Did the boy who packed a lunch of fish and bread imagine earlier that morning that his meager offering would ultimately feed more than 5,000? I'm certain that God isn't so worried about how many 
your offering will feed, but whether you are willing to show up and share your talents. Mm -hmm. And so I would just say, I'm really grateful that God has taken a lot of my hard things, my hard times and allowed me to give them back as offerings, but he gets to decide how many that feeds, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I would just say, make the offering. If you're going through a hard time right now, maybe you don't put it in a book or on a podcast, but you talk to a neighbor, you talk to a niece, you take a friend to lunch, you know, and you take that hard time and you create that connection we've already talked about and, and you support them through their, their hard time. And like you said, it boomerangs back because a lot of those people are the ones that then show up for me. If I showed mm -hmm. up for them, that's, that's the beautiful economy of God is that he can consecrate and make more of our offering than we can. If I was to say anything in closing is that your hard time may be exactly the gift you give back. Mm -hmm. So as you steward through it, I always invite people to journal, even if they're not writers, because you're going to forget how hard those days were. And you're going to forget sometimes what helped you get through. There's going to be a day someone's going to be standing in line at a grocery store and you're going to go, yeah, me too. I just, I've been through that. And, and to me, that's the beautiful miracles of why God trusts us with these hard times. Mm -hmm. He, he trusts that we'll take it and then share it. And, and that's a perspective you only gain after you've gone through it. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I remember praying that God would heal my kiddos on the autism spectrum. And he's like, no, I'm going to let you go through this because of who you will become because of it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so oh, for sure. It's, it's that, it's that he sees the end from the beginning. He sees who you're going to become because of that challenge, that stewardship, as you call it. And, and he's like, you need to sit in this one. Yep to sit in this one and learn from it and it will make you more kind it will make you more empathetic for sure you know and you will then be able to give that love back to others and yeah. be be my hands and so, that doesn't always feel very loving like why would oh no. yeah why would the loving god that we believe he is do that to us and yet what i have come to know is he wants to give us all that he has and if we are to if we are to have the capacity to receive all he has, our capacity has to increase. Mm. And my capacity to receive joy only comes when my capacity to receive sorrow increases. Mm -hmm. It's the other side of the coin. I yeah. wrote a book about joy called it's in the with God series. Um, I can choose joy with God. And that's to me, joy is beyond happiness. It's happiness is Disneyland, which is great, but it's cotton candy and you get sick on it. <laughs> you know, joy, joy is deeper and, and it comes on the other side of the coin and the joy I feel in my life is only at the level that it is because of some of the stuff I've gone. That's the law of opposition. The things mm -hmm. I've gone through on the other side. Yeah. I remember, um, one of the, the grandparents of a guy I dated sit talking me through that one day. She said, she said, Tamara, it's like a pendulum, your capacity for love and connection can swing this way, but she goes, the pendulum also swings the other way. Yep. And so if you've ever experienced that sorrow and heartache, that's the other side of that pendulum, yep. but yep. just remember it can swing back the other way. So yep. your capacity for grief and sorrow is also a heightened capacity for love and connection. So just yeah. remember it goes, it swings. 
Yes. Yeah. Wow. That was a good comparison. Oh my gosh. Ganolin, this has been so amazing. Now, before we go, has there been a Bible verse that has become meaningful to you in your years of ups and downs and all over the place? Um, that is kind of one of my hardest questions. I host a weekly, uh, scripture show. And so right now I'm, I'm way into the old Testament, even though that can sometimes be, um, a dicey (laughs) book of (laughs) book of scripture. But I would say one of the things that I've turned to, especially for your audience is in Psalms 91, four, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. And I, I believe so strongly that God is at his core loving. If we are to describe anything that we will feel when we are with him ever in this life and the next, it will be love. And so I love the idea that he is like a hen that covers us with his wings and feathers are soft. And when the hard parts of life are happening, just snuggling up into God through meditation, through prayer, through music, through good friends, through journaling, um, not through leaving this body and going to try to be with him yet mm-hmm. that, that will come, um, when it's supposed to come, but I've come to know that he will cover me with his wings and his feathers will comfort me. So, mm. oh, I love that beautiful image that you paint with that Thank verse you. of scripture. It's powerful. And it makes me want to just go snuggle a little bit. With yeah. <laughs> like you yes. said, I'm like, I think we're, I think we're due for some snuggles. Yeah. 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 And to me, that's what meditation is about. Don't make it too complicated about breathing or visualization. To me, it's missing our dad and hanging out. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Now there are going to be people out there who just have loved you and the way you share your story and your message. What is the best way for people to connect with you, to find your books? And all of that. So the one of the only great reasons to have a weird name is, <laughs> is that Google will know exactly who you're trying to find. When you, when you start typing in G-A-N, by that point, hopefully my website comes right up. Because on my website, I'm on all the platforms and I really love getting messages. I have a YouTube channel. I'm on Twitter, but not a lot. I'm there, but I'm not engaged in all the Twitter arguing. I'm just not that girl. I'm, I'm really active on Instagram and Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn, but my, my website gainalin.com has all my books on the product page and all the links to all the platforms that I'm in that you can message me. You can message through my website. I have a, an amazing assistant that will help with scheduling. If you have a group that you'd like to get on my calendar. I'd love to make that happen as well. But yes, I I would love people to pick up a copy, men, women, teenagers, um, whatever stage of life you're in, the stewardship principle was written for for everybody. And it it drops on May 1st everywhere. I would love to hear how people are applying the principle of stewardship to their lives and how it brings hope to them. So it's kind of expanded my view about how I look at the different challenges I've been through in my life. I'd never considered them as stewardships before. And with a stewardship, it is, it kind of reminds me of the Lord's parable. If he's given you this talent, what are you going to do with it? That's literally 
you must have gotten an advanced copy. <laughs> I literally opened the book with that story because I think people think the talents were all these great things. And the one that had the one talent buried it. And I, I, I make the assumption or an interpretation of scripture that maybe that one talent was a stewardship that was hard. And mm -hmm. it was, it was like, well, this isn't cool. You gave them five and, mm -hmm. and you gave me the broken down car or the unemployment or the divorce or the mental illness or the addiction or the child that has addiction or, you know, whatever, and burying it instead of bringing it out and having God consecrate it so it can expand. And that's literally how I start the book. So way to prophesy. <laughs> oh, wow. I had no idea that I, well, when you talked about that as a stewardship, I'm like, that's the story that came to mind. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you so much, Gandalin. This has been so wonderful. And I'm just so thankful that you were able to come here on the show and be open and real. And, and from that, I think all of us feel a connection to you. So thank you for thank connecting you. with us today. And thank you for holding space for a, a vulnerable conversation. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, subscribe so you can get your weekly dose of powerful stories of hope. I know there are many of you out there who are going through a hard time, and I hope you found useful things that you can apply to your own life in today's podcast. If you would like to access the show notes of today's show, please visit my website, storiesofhopepodcast.com. There you will find a summary of today's show, the transcript, and one of my favorite takeaways. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this episode with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a quote or a scripture verse that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this podcast. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help you bear the burden. And above all else, remember God loves you.